Welcome to Good Business, a weekly podcast to help you create a business that is good for people, planet, and the profit line. Hi, I'm Chris Edwards. I'm a serial entrepreneur. You may know me from my first business, Honeycombers, which is a digital lifestyle guide, providing you with everything you need to know to enjoy your local city. We operate in Singapore, Hong Kong, and Bali, and this year we're in our 15th year of operation. Or perhaps you know me as the founder of Launchpad, a community movement designed to support entrepreneurs who aspire to create conscious companies. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial ride and understand how successful and clever innovators and business leaders bring people, planet and profit together to build better businesses. So what does it take to create a heart-led business? Join me and together we're going to learn how to create a good business. Before we do, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I am recording this podcast on, Bundjalung Country. And I pay my respects to the elders past and present, and I extend my respects to all traditional cultures. All right, let's get into it. For my next guest, I sit down with Olivia Cotts-James, who is the CEO and founder of Luna, which is a period product company and period educator. Olivia is the delightful leader of this company. She created this company and and tells us in this chat with me why she created it and how it's evolved to become more than a period product company, but a, a leading educator and works with many companies and universities and schools to help educate people around periods. I just loved this chat so much. I think the thing that you're going to get out of it is... The fact that someone like Olivia, who is extremely successful, found the loneliness of the entrepreneurial ride really incredibly difficult. And I think the other thing I got out of it was how powerful it can be to work in your true life's purpose. Olivia, thanks for joining me on the show. Um, I'm so stoked to have you as a guest. This is a topic I've, I've been really keen to get into. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I haven't done a podcast in a long time, so it feels good to be back at it. Yay. Well, um, I mean, I really want to unpack your journey at Luna and creating Luna. So you were in your mid-20s when you created it. How did the idea to come up with a period care product come about? It's quite a long story, so I will I will try and give the abridged version, but in my early 20s, I, I moved to Hong Kong. So my mum was was born and, and grew up here for, for the first few years of her life. And, and that really inspired me to, to move to Hong Kong after graduating university. And I moved here with no thought in my mind to be an entrepreneur that had never occurred to me at any stage during, during my life. And really what happened at that time was the symptoms, the negative symptoms that had been really impacting my life due to menstruation for around a decade by that stage for for the first time really started to to overwhelm me and I thought for the very first time in my life which is wild because again these had been troubling me for for so long I thought how is this the status quo for so many of us today you know how am I in my 20s still dealing with symptoms that I have nowhere to turn to uh, for support for, um, and and ultimately no solutions, and and feeling really 
quite alone in an experience that half the world um, share. So it was really that thought of my own personal issues that led me to initially just start having conversations with other people around me. So initially starting with friends and colleagues. And it was through these, I guess, very casual conversations around menstruation that my eyes were then opened to just how deep this problem ran. And I then kind of between Hong Kong and then got a job in in Shanghai in 2016 when when I moved over there. And, and by that stage, these casual conversations and everything that I had unearthed really evolved into, I guess, more, I say formal research. You know, I don't have a research background, but certainly, you know, I was putting painstaking time and energy into crafting focus groups, um, hosting workshops, you know, on, on the side of my full-time job um, back then. And um, and really what was so amazing is that as I started to use tools like WeChat, for example, to advertise for, for people coming to talk to me about very taboo topics. So yes, periods, but we did other other workshops around body image and basically things that I felt were incredibly stigmatized, but that that played such a vital role in the well-being of, of women and, and individuals. And, and the amazing thing was that absolute strangers turned up. So I would I started hosting sort of um, you know, coffee tea meetings um, for five to 10 people. And then that really evolved into events that were kind of 30 person plus. And again, ultimately just strangers coming into a room together to, to, to talk about these stigmatized topics. So it was really through that that I started to build this community. Again, still at this stage, I had no desire to start a company whatsoever. It was really about community and providing the kind of support and education that I myself needed and that I started to see was so vitally needed in the lives of, of, other, of other women at the time. Um, and it was only sort of around 2017, I suppose, when I started to realize the role that the kind of traditional feminine care industry, as it's so-called, had played in creating and deepening a lot of this stigma. And I was working in branding at the time, you know, so initially my attention was just drawn to the kind of the, the identity of these brands, you know, the fact that in my view, they kind of stood for nothing other than just selling products and had, as I said, sort of kept us in the dark about, about our bodies rather than empowering us with education. Um, and the real, I guess, sort of moment that brought that community and education together with what is now Luna today was when that research into these brands revealed to me that actually one of my most debilitating symptoms, which was my recurring yeast infections, was actually being caused by the pads and tampons that I had been using for over a decade. So, you know, that was the, I guess, sort of light bulb moment, if you will, that that made me realize, okay, there's so much to be done here and I now need to go into the physical product space and create products that basically I can I can use to alleviate these symptoms and feel um, feel uh, that I know what they're made of, feel comfortable and confident in them. And, and I suppose then started to realize just how many other people's um, sort of uh, comfort and well-being was also impacted by these products. Um, obviously, I couldn't go into product development for an issue that I alone face. But as I'm sure you can imagine, this, this really isn't an, an issue that, that I was dealing with alone. Yeah, right. That's an amazing journey of really, 
you having the problem yourself and then through your coffee mornings or talks really validating that. I suppose there's two problems there, isn't there? There's one being the quality of the product and the other being the education piece. Why is it in Asia that there's not more range of products? Yeah, so I, I when I talk about sort of Asia and, and I suppose the, the, the issues and challenges that we see specific to, to, this, to this location, you know, I, I always like to emphasise that the stigma around menstruation is present everywhere around the world. And for me, if I look at, and, you know, I've talked to my mum, for example, about this, who, who used tampons her entire life, um, her entire adulthood basically spent living in the UK, where she was inserting these products into her body with no idea what they were made of. You know, I think that's, um, you know, a really troubling stigma that exists more specifically in places like the UK where tampons are more predominantly used versus, of course, in Asia, tampon adoption is so, so much lower for other issues, cultural and social issues combined. But, you know, I like to always emphasise that it's not like, in my view, Asia is much more sort of behind or stigmatised than other parts in the world, that these these stigmas manifest themselves in, in, in different ways. Um, I suppose in, in, in Asia, one of the things that we do experience is less awareness around things like the menstrual cup and tampons. Now, that is growing um, and growing quite quickly, but still proportionally to, again, using the UK as an example, adoption of, of um, alternatives other than pads is still a lot lower. Um, and... I, that that's the answer to to why that is 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 quite complex. There are many different reasons. I think you know one of the the big questions we get today when it comes to products that you insert in your body is things like the virginity question, the virginity myth that um, kind of purports that if you insert these products into your body, that if you're a virgin, that will take your virginity. Which an issue like that is really really again very complex to unpick. Um, rooted in both cultural beliefs and, um, I guess, lack of lack of body literacy as well. Um, so these are kind of the, some of the misconceptions that Luna works to overcome with the objective of not saying to anybody, you should be using tampons or you should be using a cup. We make pads as well. I love our pads. They're brilliant. Um, our goal really is just to remove all of the misconceptions that prevent individuals trying every possible available option to them and then being able to make an empowered and informed choice about what best suits them and their lives. Mm. And just before we went on air, we were saying that, um, well, you were telling me that Luna's moving to be more than just a period product business but also an education business. Tell me more about that. I, I mean, I imagine that education's really very needed and that's one of the things you learned at the very beginning but tell me about your move from being a product business to product and service. So when I was sort of building the idea for Luna back in 2017-2018 and we launched only in 2019 I should say but obviously there were years of, of sort of preparation that came before that. At the time I wasn't aware of many sort of disruptive period care companies. 
So the idea of being what we called ourselves at the time, a socially impact-driven period care company, was to me a unique proposition, particularly in the part of the world we were operating in. And that was sort of really exciting. And, and that was essentially how we defined our, our ourselves and our mission. But f- for a few different reasons, the, I guess, value proposition of what Luna is today looks very different. So one of those reasons is sort of responding to changing needs. So um, I think we've seen so much more since launching about how, how deeply needed the kind of education and platform and service, as you put it, is needed in different areas of society. So specifically for us, we do a lot of work in the workplace. We are today the leading provider in APAC of period care amenities. And alongside that, we come in and we have proprietary DEI curriculum surrounding menstrual equity that we deliver to major corporate schools and universities across the region. So that's really us responding to a need that we saw. But of course, anyone that knows this space will also know that even in the last sort of year, two years, the kind of social impact period care space has become very saturated. We see brands popping up um, a lot of the time now who are, you know, working with factories, white labeling products, putting a a nice branding on top of it. Um, And I think that's great. It really does. Um, It it means that change changes afoot and people are responding to demands um, of of consumers and our communities. But it just means that for, for Luna, there's even that much more emphasis to both respond to the needs of our community, the needs of of society, but also do so in a way that's strategic to set us apart from this increasingly competitive crowd. Mm. And I imagine in your industry, there's a lot of brand loyalty and people probably find a product they like and don't switch. So it does make a lot of sense strategically to have a really deep first connection with your consumer and get them to know you and trust you and love you, and then you have them for life. Uh, Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is what people say to be a very kind of sticky category, much like toothpaste. You don't think about it. You grab the one off the shelf that that you've perhaps grown up with that was introduced to you, in this case, by by, um, probably your mum. And in that sense, they're with traditional behavior it's not even loyalty, I would say, necessarily. So I, I can speak from my own experience. You know, I I was sort of blind when I would pick up my period products off the shelf. I grew up seeing my mum using a certain brand of, of pad, a certain brand of tampon, and, and that's just the one I would I would grab um, when I would, would be out shopping, you know. And, um, and so what we want to do, again, is kind of shift that consumer behavior, make sure, as I said earlier, there is this kind of informed, empowered choice when you pick that product, your period product, um, one that's inspired by obviously how high performing that product is, how comfortable you feel, but also really, as we do with so many other brands and so many other areas of our life, one that really reflects your personal values as well. 
be it your values towards sustainability or, you know, gender equity. So we are trying to, I guess, change what can typically be quite like a blind choice into a sort of, yeah, an empowered choice that we hope will will foster really long-term loyal relationships with our community for life. And, and for life, I really do mean life because, yes, we, we might stop menstruating at 40 or 50, in our 50s, um, but... Luna now is working to, through our education, but also our product evolution, create products, wellness products that can really support our community through those different life transitions. So through from uh, menstruation through to perimenopause, I think that's a really important um, life transition that we are now kind of there with some of our community members for and having the, the resources and products to support that is really important to us as well. Mm. And your product range from reusable to, to single use. Um, I'm really interested to see what are your views on the impact of disposable products and what do you see your role as a business in trying to get people to move to more sustainable choices? So again, we really emphasize we don't sort of have this ideal consumer journey in mind. I am somebody who for so many years was very squeamish about the notion of the menstrual cup. So that shows you how far I've come as somebody who now uses a combination of different products depending on what my day is going to entail. Um, So for me, I can really attest to the fact that products like the cup and certainly the, the tampon when I was when I was a teenager as well and discovered that product they they definitely are responsible for some very personally empowering moments in how I understand and interact with my body um, ultimately not just about I, I like to word, use the word intimacy when it comes to these products and intimacy with ourselves because I had a very, uh, again, harking back to those those challenging symptoms I used to get, one of which was like bleeding so heavy that it was ultimately very debilitating, couldn't do sport, couldn't socialize. Um, and so those products allowed me to really, yes, have a more convenient lifestyle where I don't have to stop doing the things I love. But they also created this intimacy between myself and the experience of menstruation that I just think is so, so powerful on so many levels. So in answer to your question, we don't see ourselves as a brand that's trying to convert X percentage of people from pads to cups. We really just want to sort of redefine the industry whereby people can choose, again, try all the products that are available to them and then make a choice about what feels the best for them, knowing that behind that product is a brand that is constantly working to be more sustainable and and give back to vulnerable communities who need support in this space as well. So I, I think really it's, yeah, there's no ideal journey that we have. We obviously hope that anybody, regardless of what product in our range they try, has a very positive experience and and falls in love with Luna. To us, that's that's just the most important thing. Mm. It's just so good having more choice, isn't it? You know, so I I think it's wonderfully empowering to have options um, and more options than what we had even five years ago. So I think that is a very great thing to be able to bring to women. 
So it's been a pretty, pretty full on last four years. What's been the biggest hurdle so far? I can't pinpoint one specific thing, but I would say looking back on 2019, 2020, I feel like those years were, I just remember those years as being really, really lonely and loneliness and and the what contributed to that which is me perhaps not having the right support network now that is absolutely not to say I didn't have amazing advisors and investors um who I have to this day but if we look back at 2020 everybody's lives were disrupted everyone sort of everything was chaotic. And I think largely you could say that for, for 2019 in Hong Kong as well, where we were facing, um, you know, challenges prior to, to COVID too. So I think perhaps you could pinpoint this as the symptom of, of being a first time founder and not sort of today, I would never allow myself to fall into, to, into that kind of level of loneliness and and experience the negative consequences of that because I, I've learned how to overcome that. I've learned the importance of turning to people. I've built this like incredible support system. You know, the world is not as chaotic as it might have been in many ways in 2020, at least, at least from from my perspective. So yeah, I think I think what I say to other particularly first-time founders when it comes to the challenges that you face is that it it can be a really lonely lonely ride but it really doesn't have to be um and loneliness is not productive for anybody's sort of mental health physical health and therefore like best performance um so I think it's something to be really conscious of and and work to avoid yeah that's a really good shout and I don't think we talk enough about that I feel like there's a lot of airtime for the challenges of everything else, but the mental challenges and the the feeling of loneliness is is not spoken about enough because I do think the biggest challenge is the mental challenge Uh, and everyone is in the same boat and everyone's trying to do something they've never done before uh, in an industry they've never worked in before. And I think there's an amazing increase in how much we're talking about mental health and, to be honest, this... It might not be the same for for people going into this journey now to the same degree. I, I prior to even those years of loneliness, you know, I'd been in a real hole of like, and I'm not even saying a bad hole, but I basically had just like disappeared from public life um, for um, for uh, for the people around me at least, uh, and because I was so obsessed with the research, the community building, and and what Luna was becoming. So I think I just forgot the tools to kind of overcome this kind of isolation and it, it became kind of habitual to me in a way and I I sort of went into the early early days of of Luna's story just thinking you kind of had to like battle through um and and push forward and push hard rather than appreciating that you know to take a step back to breathe to focus on yourself that um it's it's an overused phrase, but I think it's it really does resonate with me so much. You you can't pour from an empty cup. And as a founder, of course, particularly one with a small team, a solo founder, your cup cannot be empty. And I just look back to those years and I think what I was trying to do is very much um, pour, pour from an empty cup, which... Um, you know, we're, we're still here, we're still standing today, but, uh, but I, again, I wouldn't let myself um, get to that point again. 
Yeah, and I also think spending time with other entrepreneurs or networking or doing anything like that's a waste of time when you've got so much on your to-do list or you can be overwhelmed with the mountain you're trying to climb but you don't realise that that is an investment in in your mental health, just having those connections and, and reaching out and meeting people. Yeah, for sure. I also, on that point, and, and I am le- still learning this to this day, there are lots of things you can say yes to that you shouldn't say yes to. And I, I perhaps think that was part of the problem for me, saying yes to so many things. And you don't really, in the early stages, have the luxury of saying no that much, I would say, because anything could be an opportunity. But what that means is that the the little time and energy that you are, honestly, or the precious, I should say, time and energy that you have is therefore expensive expended in 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 sort of often the wrong places so I do I do like to also highlight that everything you spend your time on should count and that doesn't mean it has to be productive in terms of making a sale or or something sort of commercially valuable but it should be something that that energizes you and and pushes you forward so it's not always hard to know what that is but I think even to this day I mean even last week I kind of I'm sure you feel the same I I said yes to just one too many things and then realized at the end of it you know um I'm my I'm feeling a bit depleted now and I just need to you know sit back and remember like what are my priorities um what's important to me this week this month this year um and make sure you're not sort of letting yourself be pulled in in too many directions as well yeah yeah that's a good shout for me I have three kids so they pull me away from my work (laughs) a lot which is good it's I need it This podcast is brought to you by Launchpad, a community movement for conscious entrepreneurs. If you're seeking a sounding board, advice, masterclasses, or maybe just looking for a network of people that are in your corner to support you, come to thelaunchpad.group website and check it out. We'd love to meet you. So I wanted to talk about funding, especially as a, a female entrepreneur, it can be very hard to access. I imagine it would have been even harder to raise funds for a business in a a period care category. Tell me about that. Yeah, so for anybody who's listening to this, I I find fundraising a very, a topic I like to approach very carefully because I had never done any kind of fundraising before I entered this journey. I didn't have the option to sort of bootstrap in those early stages. I, I bootstrapped, obviously, the research period, the concept testing, all of that. But but to go into production and design of these products was something at, at, at sort of 24, 25, I absolutely could not afford to do myself. So I always knew I had to fundraise in the early stages. But, you know, I look back at where I was getting my information around sort of startups from back in, that, in those days, sort of 2017, 18, 19. And a lot of it, I look back and I think it was quite toxic in a way. You know, people people see fundraising as the kind of end game rather than the means to the to the to the greater end. And you still see it to this day, right? Like so and so has raised twenty million at X valuation and so on. And there's there's so much hype around it. And I I think it's really important to both recognize that f- fundraising is an amazing achievement, but it has to be for that for that end end goal, right? 
we we need and and ultimately i've realized that when you see these headlines about people raising funds and and at these valuations you know you don't know the backstory behind it and i can think of a multitude of examples where the terms were were crappy you know the businesses weren't profitable they were raising because they had to and so on so i just want to say that because if there's any sort of um you know early stage founders listening to this i really want to shift the dialogue around fundraising to make sure people are more cautious around how we talk about this particular topic. Um, now that said, any woman business, any minority owned business who does raise funds, that is an incredible feat because we all know the statistics around how frequently that happens. Um, I think it was 2021, the data showed that 2% of VC funding went to women-owned businesses. You know, the percentages of, of Black-owned businesses or other minority-owned businesses are vastly lower as well. So for anybody within within those categories that does that does raise, I think that's an incredible and phenomenal achievement. And I suppose Luna, we have we have done done well in that area. I would I would consider um, you know, we've we've raised funds when we've needed to. Um, we've got great supportive investors on board, which I think is another really important thing to point out. Um, uh, we've said no to sums of money that we needed when the investor was kind of didn't feel like a red fit, uh, a right fit, or in, in some cases showing sort of very concerning red flags, which again isn't always easy to do when you you know you need funds to to ramp up your business. So yeah, I think I think fundraising is it's it takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. I definitely didn't appreciate that when I set out in those in the for my for my pre seed round. Um, you know, I, I thought the, the beauty of, of sort of being that passionate and I suppose that ultimately that naive when you're a first time founder is that you think your idea is so amazing that people are going to jump at the opportunity to put money into it. And, uh, and obviously that's, that's not the case. There are a lot of, um, a lot of things to consider. And today we're moving into a, a, into a environment that's going to be very challenging for people to raise funds in. So it's going to be even more important that we stop looking at things like vanity metrics and we start looking at you know, the core principles of, of what makes a healthy business. Um, you know, good margins, if it's a, if it's a product business, um, it, you know, like a, a strong pipeline, um, good product market fit, all of these things that perhaps, you know, harking back to those days that I was mentioning where I was digesting all of these kind of podcasts online and that was my knowledge of and that's what built my knowledge of kind of the the startup ecosystem those things weren't really pushed as being that important back then mm, yeah no I could not agree more uh, I find it fascinating the obsession with fundraising and I have not raised any funds so I feel quite grateful that I haven't had I feel like when you speak to people who are fundraising it sounds like they've got two jobs you know they've got to run a company and they've got to fundraise so I'm like whew, um, I really dodged a bullet I reckon <laughs> yes absolutely and 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 yes and no I think the the ability to 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 not fundraise is is absolutely incredible um I would say our investment team has is now also full of people who bring you know really important knowledge and advice to the table and so if you can find strategic investors like that then that's the absolute dream um 
so any fundraising we do in the future I, I'm just hoping we can do with that with that end goal in mind people who bring more than just just the money yeah yeah totally uh, so I've got one more question before I jump into my rapid fire questions, and that is change is the only constant in business. I'd love to know what do you think we have our eyes wide shut on right now? What do you think people are assuming that is safe and stable that you feel is misguided? That's a really interesting question. And my answer today is probably very different to what it would have been a few months ago. But I don't think I think we're all assuming everything is unstable. I mentioned to you before we before we started recording that even at my team Christmas party recently, we had to really avoid talking about the future in a way just because this time last year at our last year Christmas party, there was a dip in COVID. We talked with so much excitement about the pipeline we had and what was just around the corner for 2022 and then Obviously, the fifth wave of COVID hit in Hong Kong, followed by the Shanghai lockdowns, which was, you know, perhaps one of the most challenging periods for our entire business to date. So from where I'm sitting and and I'm now, you know, talking to some potential investors and everything, I, I think everyone is feeling like the future is uncertain um, and that things are going to constantly be changing. And... I honestly, there are so many challenges that come with this uncertain future, but linking back to what I just said about sort of having the right foundations for your business in place, I I definitely see some positives coming from, from this uncertain future. Uh, like I said, the, the return to those strong foundations rather than all these vanity metrics being, being just one of them. So for me, there's a definite, I don't want to say silver lining, obviously what we're facing is is really tough, um, economic uncertainty amongst other factors, but I think that there are some positives that can be seen about the, the shift in mentality that this has brought forward. Yeah, and I suppose in your industry there's been a massive change in the last five years with perception and understanding and awareness and education and, you know, like you've created a company in the right place at the right time, I suppose, you know, the uncertainty also comes opportunity, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I think it's amazing to see how much has happened in the the women's health, the femtech space. Yeah, I was, I was completely dismissed by so many people four years ago during that first, that first fundraise, that this was just an absurd notion and that, that there was no, there would be no demand for disruptive companies in in this category that it was just taboo too too taboo to touch so to see that shifted so dramatically is so wonderful not just from a brand perspective but for me sort of as a woman as a menstruating person you know I think the future that we're building looks a lot brighter for people with periods yeah that's awesome isn't it All right, I'd love to ask some rapid-fire questions. Firstly, do you have any business advice or mantras that you you roll around in your head and and you really keep coming back to? I don't know about sort of a a sort of succinct mantra. I mean, I mentioned somebody the other day. I don't know if it's a bit cheesy, but I really like the phrase, you know, if you feel like there's not enough room for you at the table, build a new table. (laughs) I feel like that's definitely what what we did with Luna. Um, I encourage people to to kind of 
think that way if they feel like there isn't there isn't the space for their for their ideas or their disruption then then make sure that you carve that out oh I love that now tell me which of these expressions resonates for you do you believe luck favors the open mind or fortune favors the bold oh another great question I I don't know I think it might have to be a combination of of the two honestly because I I just so I deeply believe that you've got to be bold. You've got to you've got to really go after it um, if if there's something that you want to achieve. But ultimately, we can't con ourselves into thinking that boldness is enough. Um, it's a combination to to have a successful business. You absolutely I think have to have a combination of of being bold, luck, timing, like all of these different factors. I'd, I'd have to say a combination of the two. Great answer. <laughs> um, tell me, what does community mean for you and your business? I believe community sits at the heart of everything we do. And I see this being a principle that um, is employed by a lot of brands today. And um, But I think you can listen to Luna's story and, and you know, the origins of where of the company to understand that community has from day one been the foundation of of what it is that we do today so it's it's really to us it it, it's everything Mm. and does that give you a superpower because you can lean into this you know even with your education piece you're you're direct facing customers and and hearing from them firsthand what's what's working what's not and what they want yeah absolutely I mean having a very highly engaged loyal community and and we always say this directly to our community members you know tell us what you need tell us what you want and if we can we'll make it happen so from a business perspective obviously that means that we're that we're doing things that people actually need and want which is so so important i would also say community feels to me personally as a founder like my superpower in a way there are so many instances I can remember when you know really challenging times over the last few years even prior to launch you know when we were just working on the preparations of of the company when you know you'd be feeling like everything was against you that it was just too hard um and then I would go out and I would host one of our our workshops and I would be reminded through that event that absolutely there's no way you can quit now because this is so so needed so I just feel like our community has has in some of my more challenging moments been the the boost and the reminder that I needed to to not to not quit Mm, that's awesome that's really awesome what has been your most successful or, or best business collaboration or partnership that you've done am I allowed to say every sort of workplace partnership that we do (laughs) yes you are allowed to say that (laughs) okay it's not that I'm not picking favorites it's just to me I am just after so many years of hard work and really pushing so hard to convince organizations that this is necessary to be in a position now where companies and organizations are reaching out to us honestly on a daily basis to inquire about or launch our workplace programs. It's just one of the things I'm most, most proud that we've been able to do is really 
uh, start to normalize the provision of these programs, be it the amenities, be it the training. Um, so I think any any workplace or university or school that comes to us, I just have so much love for. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love the way your business has evolved from the product into the education space. And talking to you, you can see that it's driven by not just a good business decision, but obviously by where you get your energy from and where you're feeling like you're having amazing impact and you probably would do it for free, you know, like that is the golden goose of business, right? Finding something that you love so dearly that you're like, it doesn't feel like work. I'm happy to do this, whether I get paid or not, you know, but oh, wow, we're making money too. You know, like that's, that's the dream. Definitely. I like to say, and I'm sure you feel this way, but we've we've built and this isn't just down to me obviously it's down to the team and and our investors and partners everyone that luna is somewhere that even if i didn't own this business i would want to work and i think that's that's just really what you want to be aiming for in both the impact your business makes and the team culture that you build yeah yeah i think that's one of the biggest privileges uh being an owner of a business is you can create a workplace that you're so proud of and that you are like, for me, I'm just like, yeah, totally. I would love to work at Honeycombers if I was not the owner because it's just a, a beautiful place to work. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's just gets better every year. I don't know. It's it's yeah, it's really special to have the the privilege to be able to create the culture and and really do it the way it should be done so many experiences you have in your working life where it's just jarring or it's awful or it's just inconsiderate or they don't trust you or there's so much this it's weird actually how many workplaces get it so wrong and it's not that hard you know? <laughs> it's one of the things I, I didn't appreciate about starting the business is that one of the things and by no means have I always get it right I, I say the the building of the culture and the creating the team culture is one of the things that I love and I'm actually most proud of with the team and, and and the business that we have today. But linked to that, I did not appreciate how how much knowledge and strategy and and like you know careful planning that that does take. Learning about how to foster that culture that doesn't just come naturally. Um, that doesn't just come from as a result of having an impact purpose driven business. Finding the right people is, of course, incredibly challenging. So finding people who aren't just passionate but are willing to do do the dirty work as well because there's so much of that. So I think it's it's been one of the biggest learning curves for me and, and like I said, one of the things I'm most proud of. Mm, that's really cool. Uh, I wanted to ask, do you have a favourite business book or a favourite business podcast that you'd like to share? <laughs> as, you might, as you might be able to tell from some of my earlier comments, I... I became really averse to listening to podcasts after I spent so many years, it feels like, listening to the wrong ones that built up this kind of wrong uh, view of, of, of business and, and the startup ecosystem in my mind. So I've kind of just started getting back into it, to be honest. And I would say I don't have a go-to recommendation. I listen to a lot of um, femtech uh, industry insight podcasts now, but but really rather than listening to sort of business podcasts um I I really try and carve out time with my advisors and our investors who to me just have the wealth of knowledge that I want and need um and sort of and and I don't get enough time even with them to sit down and talk so 
can I say that my answer to that question would be <laughs> would be I don't have a recommendation, but I do I do rec- recommend building that team of, of advisors um, that you can go to and, and get your insights from. Nice. Okay, I will accept that answer. <laughs> Uh, my last question to you is at Launchpad, we believe a rising tide floats all boats. So I wanted to know if you have an entrepreneur that you recommend we should interview on this podcast, someone who is an inspiring leader who's creating a good business. Um, so someone, if you have an interest in sort of uh, destigmatizing women's health, sexual wellness and so on, I have an incredible friend who's one of four female founders who has started the O Collective, which is a sexual wellness brand. They have created their own line of sexual wellness products, but they do a lot of education around specifically um, sexual wellness. And I think they are an amazing team of, of yeah, four founders who are doing something really, really special in, in, in my space as well. So I'd recommend the O Collective team. Olivia, it's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like I could chat to you for hours, but um, maybe I'll have to hunt you down to come and talk at a Launchpad event because I feel like you've obviously learnt so much so quickly and I love what you're doing and how you're doing it. So it's been an absolute pleasure sharing your journey. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much. Three things I learnt from this chat with Olivia. Firstly, that loneliness for entrepreneurs is a really, really big challenge. And it's nice to hear that from someone as successful as Olivia. Two, that fundraising is a funny, funny thing and so often glorified around metrics that are really vanity metrics and not really metrics that are the most important metrics. And then the third thing is is how powerful it is to work in your true life's purpose and to create a company that you're truly proud of. And it's not easy, but it is incredibly satisfying. Thank you for listening to Good Business. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Selfishly, I created this podcast for my own personal growth. I really wanted to spend an hour with these amazing entrepreneurs that really inspire me. Of course, I also created it for you, our listeners, and the wider community at Launchpad, where we're a group of entrepreneurs all trying, or aspiring rather, to create better businesses together. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you have any feedback, suggestions, or just want to reach out, please do. I'd love to hear from you. You can catch me on email at chris at thehoneycombers.com or go to the launchpad.group website and check it out. Thanks for listening and I hope you leave as inspired as I am to create your own good business.